If you would, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. I want to talk about the mind of unity. The mind of unity. Have you ever heard phrases about opinions? Kind of like what they're like? I heard one, someone say one recently I'd never heard before is that they're like onions. That opinions could be like onions. A lot of layers to them. And sometimes they'll make you cry. And I thought that was really good. Really good. Everyone's got one for sure and everything. But I want to talk about the mind of unity. What's interesting about the book of Philippians is it was written whenever Paul was in jail. He talks all about joy. But if you also look kind of behind the text, you see this theme popping up again and again and again about the mind which mind to have, and about unity and division. I remember hearing Pastor Lee preach. I think it was a message from 20, 25 years ago. Whenever I first started coming to the church, someone gave me a bag of about 100 cassettes, if anyone remembers what that was. And in my 2001 Nissan Maxima, I still had a cassette player. And so I would just listen to all of them. And it was really cool. One time I actually heard a message from Pastor Lee in like 1989, 1990. And he sounded like me when he spoke. And I thought that was amazing coming from him. But he was about 30 years old whenever he preached that one. Uh, and it was just amazing. But he spoke about the book of Philippians. Uh, there was division everywhere in the churches that Paul found. Which is really strange. Whenever you think about the anointing of God on someone's life, sometimes we think they do everything right. But if you look at the Apostle Peter, you'll see a man who was simultaneously anointed and simultaneously a failure within himself. Who, though God would do everything, even to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt, it was not his failure, but humanity finds a way to mess it up. Whenever people talk about nature versus nurture, what causes people to turn cars over in cities or to act a certain way towards their spouse or, or all these things, there's no doubt that our, our nurture affects things. But when you go to the garden, you see a perfect father, you see perfect provision, and you see a perfect home with perfect people, and they still found a way to fail. So when we read the books of the Bible, whenever we read the letters and we see Paul's churches, in some cases almost crumbling, not even a generation or two after in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, we see, repent of these things, take hold of these things, lest I take your candlestick away from you. We are in the same propensity. We have the same hearts and we have the same minds. And so it's with that correction and the love of a father that Paul comes to the people in Philippi. And he says in chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you've ever had a coach, whether for football, for band, dance, whatever you had, you know, you wanted a coach that would put some fire under you. You wanted a coach that would push you beyond your limits. You didn't want everyone to win a trophy. You wanted to be pushed forward if you really cared about it. And we are told that we are all competing for a prize. Not against one another, but for the same thing, the prize of Jesus Christ. But also as a coach, we want someone who believes in us. 
Someone who says, I know you can do this, and that's why I'm pushing you this way. I'm pushing you this way because there's an ability. And in the natural, you'd be looking to your own resources, your own provisions, your own physical stature, your own, um, you know, agility. But in the Christian faith, we don't look to those things. We look to the Savior. We look to the Spirit of God. We look to the grace of God. And it was with the eye on the grace of God that Paul was able to say, I am sure of this. I am sure of this. Not I hope. Not I'm just praying. I am sure of this. That He who began a good work in you. It wasn't you and it wasn't me who started this life out. Though we are not Calvinists, we truly believe that unless the Father draws you, you cannot come to the Son. And that it is through that one who has pursued us relentlessly. We did not somehow stumble upon Jesus Christ. But it was through his drawing, his wooing, his conviction that we were led to the Savior. And at that place, we bowed the knee. And the grace of God not only saved us, but became fully implanted within our lives and the person of the Holy Spirit constantly speaking and moving influencing our lives that is our guarantee that was Paul's hope and it means that we as pastors us as parents and leaders of small groups or anything else don't have to force people we can instruct them we can love them we can pray for them but at the end of the day you cannot help me to be more holy You can instruct me and bring a word to me that could be convicting from the Lord. But ultimately, it's got to be God who does the work. And that is the guarantee. He, Paul knew that these people were a work in progress. Sometimes you see those signs for construction, work in progress, caution. I found another sign online that said, caution, demolition, work in progress. And maybe that should hang over our lives. And there was actually a sign of a volcano and a bicycle with, uh, you know, saying, be careful riding your bike on this path because there's a volcano. Maybe some of us need hot mess in action, caution. All of us at some point. But God was the one who was doing the work in the Philippians. It was God's work that was going to carry them through. But until then, until the day of Jesus Christ, just just like our sister Jordan said, or it was a Becca, spoiler alert, you're going to fail. You will fail. And a lot of times we struggle with that. And that can be this performance-driven Christianity. I'm supposed to believe perfectly. I'm supposed to act perfectly. Now, by the grace of God, we are given the provisions to obey. We are given the ability to do all the things that God wants us to do. But inevitably, you and I will fail. It will happen until the day of Jesus. Until the day of Jesus, when he returns and I see him face to face, then I will be completely like him. But until then, we need mercy and we need grace and we need patience with one another. And we have to also just be patient with ourselves at times. Whenever we feel like we should be getting something, I should be further along. And maybe we should, but at that point, we don't despair or moan or fall in depression, but we fall to our knees. We may repent and say, God, forgive me. Give me your grace and work it out. And whatever I have lacked in the past and whatever years I have wasted, I believe you're able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten, even if I offered it up to the locusts in handfuls of my own pleasure. I believe you are able to bring me to where you want me to be. If Peter can fail, if he can deny him, and if he can even fail later in ministry, whenever he's pressured by people, but God can get his glory in him, we are not beyond that. 
I thank God that he used Peter on that day of Pentecost. A failure because it gives me hope. That the grace of God will come to me and my brokenness lift me up, put me on my feet, and give me the power to walk out this faith. First Thessalonians 5 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. This is his work. And we respond to his work in faith and obedience. But it is his work, this God of peace, sanctifying us and making our whole spirit, soul, body kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Hallelujah. What an encouragement. So then he leaves that encouragement and then he begins to deal with them and to say this. There's division where you are. There's division in the church, and I'm not aware of any division here, but about a week or so ago, I was looking through the book of Philippians, and this came to me, and it was spoken spoken to me by the Lord. There was division everywhere. If you remember the book of Corinth, what were they fighting about? Chapter 1. I hear some people mumbling, but I can't hear you. Gifts? Favorite preachers? Some of them really liked the people that would do expositional preaching maybe or spoke eloquently and use a lot of theological terms. And that was a gift to the body. And some of them here liked someone to say, ah, at the end of every sentence or praise God. And that felt really anointed. But what they really felt was, what they really didn't understand was, both of these kinds of people were given to the body. Both of these people were a gift to the body. But really what was dividing them was their opinions. It wasn't necessarily the rightness of one preaching style versus another preaching style, but their human minds and their human opinions and the way they perceive things led to conflict. It came out of them and led them to pit themselves against one another. And that is where opinions can sometimes make us cry or our opinions will get under our skin sometimes. The real problem with our opinions is whenever we feel like they're sanctified opinions. I really feel like I'm right about this. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been on the butt end of that? It's not always great. I like this quote about opinions. You have a right to an opinion, but it doesn't mean your opinion is right. I'm going to say that one more time because I want to remember this for the rest of my life. You have a right to an opinion, but it does not mean your opinion is right. It doesn't act, you can voice it. And you know, it's good to voice opinions. It's good among friends to see different viewpoints. It was good for me when I married my wife and she brought a different perspective because it was only me in here looking out. But then she brought another one from the out looking towards me. That was helpful. It's growing. It's good. It's wonderful. Even whenever there can be conflict, some people have this idea that conflict is unhealthy. That conflict means something is definitely wrong. And that is a bad mindset. That is an unhealthy mindset at worst or immature at best. Conflict can help us grow and is good. And it doesn't mean yelling, maybe if that's your idea of conflict, but just a difference of opinion. It's what we do with that difference of opinion. So if Danielle comes to me and she says, Andrew, you said this in your message, and I'm pretty sure that's not what that scripture means. I don't want to react to her and say, excuse you, I studied this. What are you talking about? The right reaction should be, oh, maybe on the inside, I really studied that. I thought I got it right. Oh, that's so embarrassing. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I think I'm right. 
Can you tell me what you think you're seeing? And in that openness, I can possibly receive something from her that is going to advance my life. So when we come with our thoughts, we need to come humbly. And when someone comes to us with their thoughts, we need to receive them humbly. We don't go with boxing gloves, but we also don't stand in the ready position when someone comes to speak to our lives. That's not how to win friends or influence people. Going on in Philippians 1.27, it says this. Paul begins to open his heart to the people. He's convinced that God is going to do his work in them. But he says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just let your life be worthy of it. None of us are worthy in ourselves. We do not deserve his blood. It is erroneous for us to think we were worth so much that God came down to save us because he knew our value. No, no, no value. Utterly wicked. Filthy rags, but because of his great love, because of his worthiness, because of his worthiness, he wanted to allow us to come into fellowship with him and that he would make us worthy by the blood of his dear son. We have been made qualified. We were disqualified and outside the family and the kingdom of God, but we have been washed, cleansed, placed, made qualified, adopted as children. And whenever we think about that, it's much less about how we can perform to make our father happy and much more about leaning into his ability and receiving that grace in our lives. It's the, it is the branch that remains in the vine that bears the fruit, not the branch that tries real hard to squeeze out the fruit. It is him. It is his life in us. And Paul was so adamant. He said, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I love when my two boys get along. They are five and almost four. And they are like twins. Whenever we get something, if you ever get one of my children a gift, not that you ever have to, but if you ever do... Make sure it's from the dollar store because they're going to break it. And number two, make sure you get two of the exact same color because they will argue over it. And I will say this as a father, or as a parent, when you're there and you're present with your children, they tend to act one way, right? Because simply your presence there causes them to obey a bit more. But whenever you step back, that arguing, the bickering, other things happen. But I am so thankful and so proud that whenever I'm not in the room and I can hear my kids and Ezra may say, hi, Ezra, Leland will say to Ezra, can I please borrow that? Yes, Leland. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, it sounds just like that too, that my heart explodes with joy. I feel like weeping because it's like, that is all I want from you to love one another, to follow Jesus together, to help each other, to be friends to care for each other. And by the grace of God, I believe they're going to get there eventually all the time. But it's going to take time. And that's what Paul was calling for. Would you please let the Holy Ghost work in your lives where you love one another, where you walk together. So whether I'm there or I'm not there, your walking with Jesus doesn't change. Whether if Pastor Lee's here, the way I speak to or about my brother doesn't change if he's not here. And it's a guest preacher or somebody else. Because we're not living for man, we're living for the king. 
We're living for our heavenly father. And he is always there with us. We don't need someone with a whip over us saying, act this way, do this. Is there a Holy Spirit in the house? Has he given him to us to live and dwell within all believers? Ephesians 1, 9, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise whenever we believed. Is he capable or is he not? He is very capable. But it was a choice for these Philippian Christians whether they were going to actually live it out. It was a choice. You could choose to live worthy or you could choose not to live worthy. And we're faced with that choice every day. And we see here also that unity was not the absence of conflict, but was the act of working through it to unity. What does he say there? Just get along. Everybody get, this is just such a false notion that somehow with all of our, just even male, female, right? You, you've heard of it, the battle of the sexes. They even had game shows. You're from Mars. I'm from Venus. That was like in the early nineties. Some of y'all will remember that book from along. I never read it. That was before my time. I just heard it quoted on TV when I was like five years old. But all the way back then, even the world knew when they knew what male and female actually was, that there was a difference, a big difference. And it was something that men and women were always trying to overcome. It was something the men knew they had wrong and the women were trying to fix. <laughs> but there's more than that, even in our differences. What about where you grew up? What about the language you spoke originally? What about the church life that you had? What about the Bible version you used? But then you take all these people and you push them all together. And as many human beings as are in here are imperfect works in progress with all of our own baggage and all of our own opinions that we all bring together. What in the world are we going to do? Well, we're not just all going to get along because that's a cult. We're not all going to think the same exact thing on every scripture because that's forced and that's a cult. Now, we're going to tell you what we believe and we're going to give you our doctrinal statement. But my goodness, to force you to believe everything to the T that anyone else in here does is tyranny. We have a standard. We have a statement of faith and we'll hold to those things. But my goodness, there is diversity within each of our lives. So what do they have to do? What are the verbs that Paul said? Stand firm. Stand firm or stand fast in one spirit, one mind. How is it possible to have one mind in a church of all these people without forcing everyone to think the same thing, drinking the Kool-Aid? How do, how do you do that? And how do you get people to strive side by side? It means we've actually got to fight, not each other, but together for the gospel. We've been saved and we're indwelt by one spirit, but it's the living it out sometimes that that's where the rub comes. This is something that has to be worked out. If anyone in here who has never been married and you think that somehow you're going to get married and if there's an argument, something is wrong, you just need to turn off the Disney channel. I'm serious. Did you notice that in all those things, there's always a witch, there's always a dragon, there's always something weird like that. Well, in real marriage, the witch and the dragon is you not your spouse, and you have to fight your own flesh to live rightly before God and with them. That's the thing that needs to be slayed in marriage is yourself, your own issues. And so you will be the problem, your own worst problem in your marriage, not your spouse. The real question is, if you have an issue with your spouse, your family member, or your church is this, what's wrong with me, God? What's wrong with me first, God? Because maybe I see something wrong, but man, I'm about to go into it guns blazing. And that thing that was this small... There's something a lot worse now. 
I have been the king at times of seeing something that was not right and then just just coming unglued. And now what I'm trying to clean up is the mess that I have made by taking the paint and throwing it everywhere. Not literally, you know, but emotionally speaking. And so this is something we have to strive for. So welcome to the family of God. And just like real family, it takes work. If you're going to be in here and you say, they offend me, I'm going to ghost them. You will never make it in the body of Christ. We cannot be spiritual snowflakes, starting with me. There has to be some spiritual grit in our lives that God works in there. And I know we can come from places of woundedness. And God is very merciful. He will not quench a smoking flax. He will not put these things out. So when we treat each other, we should treat each other with great respect, with great humility of mind. But we should also not be taken off guard when a conflict or a disagreement happens. This is normal. What happens next? Unity? That's what's not normal. That is what is supernatural. And that is what's produced by the Holy Spirit. That is this mind of unity. The mind of Christ. If anyone's ever done that workbook, it's a really good one. Lots of scriptures and things like that that was put out. But the mind of Christ, this is not something that's automatic. Though we are indwelt and deposited the Holy Spirit in our lives, God himself, the third person of the Trinity. Though Christ is risen and our lives are hidden with him in Christ in heavenly places, he's seated on the throne, we're there with him, and all principalities and powers are under our feet. This is fact. There is a walking out, a willful choice each day to walk in the flesh or the spirit, to be heavenly minded or earthly minded, to be crowded out. And it can become extremely hard with the stresses of life, the difficulties of life, the busyness of life, to be heavenly minded, even just distracted by our phones. I tell you what, I I think it was probably easier to serve Jesus before we had Cell phones like we do, it is hard. Now, they can be wonderful gifts and tools and the fact that I can look up a word, I can cross-reference something, I can contact someone in a moment's notice. If they're in need, I can be there, I can drop a location. We even have someone in our church who, when he was shot, dropped a pen to his location to his father, and his father was able to go and cruise and get right to where his son was immediately. So there's always a battle in every generation. But even without all those technological distractions, these people in the first century with horse and cart, walking by foot, simple diet, seems like they should have had a lot less issues, were still having trouble being unified. They still had to be taught how to be unified. If Jesus tarries another thousand years, or even a hundred years, life will look exponentially different than it does today. And they're going to look back to us and be like, man, it must have been simple to serve Jesus back then. But in every moment of time, there's a battle. And it says this in Philippians 2, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, listen to this heart of a father in Paul, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord or full agreement and one mind. Some people have dismissed the mind in Christianity as if the mind itself is something evil and we should only think about the heart and nothing else. But we are meant to do both. Jesus himself said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. 
We have to be careful not to avoid it. And we also have to be careful that we don't teeter to one side versus the other. And only God can bring that balance. We cannot. It's with the mind that I read and I receive, you know, uh, things through my ears, things through my eyes that somehow spiritually then get into my heart. So my mind is not a devil, but the carnal mind is. And that's what we're being told to avoid. But the mind in itself, that, that organ, the scepter, it does something and it's valuable and we have to not neglect it. Be in full accord and of one mind. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Two choices there. Selfish ambition or conceit. I feel like I deserve this because I've been in the church for this long. That's my seat. I deserve that seat. Get here first then. (laughs) Being in full accord in one mind. Count others more significant than yourselves. That is really hard. Especially starting in my generation when everybody's a special little snowflake and you're real important and everything's about you and I want to build your quote self-esteem. And I know that you can have a really wrecked and destroyed idea of yourself through abuse and things you've endured. Again, I don't despise that or say that's nothing and it's not important. But God help us to really even think about others, right? That emotional IQ, people call it empathy. What is it like to actually live in their shoes, to walk in their shoes? I bet a lot of arguments, but would be resolved if I would just stop in that moment and before I open my mouth, think, I wonder what they're perceiving me as right now. I wonder what they're hearing from my mouth. If I respond this way right now, it's going to be a tire fire. Better not say that because I'm thinking of them more than myself. I'm counting them as being more significant. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. So though there's nothing wrong with the human mind in itself, except when it gets caught up in itself, there's one mind above all minds that my mind needs to be gripped by and directed by. My thoughts that come in here don't own me. I am told that every thought that is different than the thoughts of Jesus, I am to treat aggressively. It's not allowed on my property. I'm to take it captive to the thoughts of Christ. His thoughts rule over ours. You are not a victim of the thoughts that come in your mind. It doesn't matter what they are, the temptations you feel. You are not a victim to them. In fact, if you follow Jesus, you have spiritual power in him to say, no. If someone comes into my house and they're coming in there to abuse my family, I am not a pacifist. There will be a fight. What it looks like, I don't know. How big are they? I don't care. I am going to destroy them. Spiritually speaking, there should be the same mindset that if anything enters in, the mind of Christ, the Spirit of God rises up and says, not in my house. He rises up because we are His temple. And those thoughts of lust, of profanity, of rage, of homosexuality, whatever you are afflicted by, how dare it? Does it not know the man of the house, the strong man, is Jesus Christ? And look, it may sound weird, but guess what? When someone comes against me, I'm going to go to my man, Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to Him because I'm His bride and I'm going to let Him roll 
roll up his sleeves, look at the cross and say, really, do you want some? And I'm going to let him live his life through me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are not victims. We simply need to go to our resource. The Lord Jesus Christ, the strong man of the house. Paul's greatest desire was for their unity. He warned them about personal pride and he said we have to pay attention to other people's opinions. If you don't listen to anyone else, you're just stubborn and hard-headed and no one will ever want to be around you. And we will walk with blind spots the rest of our lives. And we'll get to the end of it and we'll look back having made a lot of mistakes that we never had to make. But we just weren't willing to take any advice. No advice at all. The mind of Christ, like I just said, it's available to you. We can receive it, that sound mind. One that's not subject to fear and anxiety, but the mind of Christ which is strong and powerful and is not pushed around. Like we're told in 2 Timothy. It's a choice. It is a choice. And it will require sacrifice. So if we're told that the mind of Christ is the mind that we're supposed to have, what does that mind look like in a nutshell? Like in a kernel form, boil it down to a shot of espresso. Give me the mind of Jesus that I'm supposed to have with my brother. Whenever we're walking in and we're rubbing against each other in life and we're grating against each other, iron sharpens iron and it sharpens iron by small fragments coming off of each of them. Causes friction and sometimes there are sparks whenever you put metal together. Yet we're told that iron sharpening iron is a good thing, a desirable thing, friction, disagreements, because it leads to something. But it requires sacrifice. Unity in the mind of Christ will kill you. It will kill me because it killed Jesus. Jesus was being found in human form. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He had to choose obedience. Jesus chose to suffer. A body, God, you have prepared for me. Jesus agreed to this. And he was not just God, but he was also fully man too. It's a mystery. But in his humanity, he had to choose to obey the Father. That was not easy, as we'll see. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. But what did that look like? Go with me to Luke chapter 22. I'd love for you to read this. The person of Jesus is just the focus of everything in life. Everything that he's done, who he is in heaven, everyone will bow at his feet and declare his name. All the prophets, all the writings, everything in Jewish scripture pointed to Jesus. He said that everything speaks of me. Everything points to him. He is our example. He is our focus. Jesus is also the most greatly misunderstood person by all of us because we see him so little and we try to conform him to our own image so much because he was fully human as well as fully God. But it says here in verse 41, he withdrew from then about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to the mind of Christ. Listen to the sacrifice. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup From me, I don't want to drink of this in my humanity. 
I'm not looking forward to this cup and my humanity. This is costing me something and my humanity that is deep. I will be beaten. My bones will be exposed. My beard will be ripped from my face. Nails will be driven into my nerves. I will be hung naked, not just in front of my own mother and sisters on a cross and followers, but this is a high feast day, God. Every Jewish male from the entire Jewish nation, from all over the Roman Empire and beyond, is here now. And I am placed at the entrance to the city. And every single one of these potentially hundreds of thousands of people, sometimes in the pictures we see a few people maybe, there's his mom, Mary, there's the Roman soldier, but hundreds of thousands of people have come to Jerusalem. And here he is, naked, completely ashamed in front of everyone. But not only that, but he was going to, for a moment, somehow be separated from his father. And we know what it's like whenever we willfully sin and there is separation that comes between us and God and the sickness we feel, the desperation to have this cleansed and made right between us. You know what it's like whenever you have a spouse or a friend or family member and there's division there and it's terrible and it weights you down. And he received that infinitely worse and not for his own sin, but for your sin and for my sin. He willingly took it. And in his humanity, he was not looking forward to that at all. So if that's the mind that we're supposed to take in unity, what what kind of confrontations does that mean we might be pushed up against? How many of my sanctified opinions are going to have to die on a cross? Because I think I'm right. And I know you're wrong. If you're willing... Do this. And then he says it again, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this body of Christ and in these relationships that we have, I mean, I need him to help me because I'm going to have to die to what I think is right in a given situation. Maybe you thought that color wasn't right. It should have been another color. Well, do we divide over it? Do we cause issues over it? I should have thought we sang more contemporary versus hymn music. Okay, that's good that you think that. And you're welcome to that thought. But let's not cause division over it or a plethora of other things. Where does it go? Unity for us long term, not just in the moment, but long term on this earth among other believers is going to kill us. And it's part of God's plan to kill us that he might live in us. Pastor Lee told me something. He said, Andrew, a lot of pastoring is about compromise. And he didn't mean doctrinal compromise, compromise of holiness. So don't hear that. Don't walk out and think that. If you do, you just need to go back and listen to the tape. And remember I said this. But rather listening to other people, giving them space to speak giving them space to disagree with you as a leader, giving them the ability to think differently, to talk it through, see where it leads, and maybe you'll still disagree for the moment and go see God about it if it's important enough. That was really special for me to hear that from him because he's pastored here for 36 years and he's not bitter. He's become broken. And I have to think it's because the mind of Christ 
he has allowed it to function, to operate in him, and to kill him again and again and again. And I really want that to happen in me too. But I need God to help me in that. We all need that so desperately. And and you know what else happened? The grace of God came in. Here we go. Here comes an angel. Wow. Everything's going to be beautiful now, right? It says that in verse 43. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. I mean, Jesus, wow, being God but human as well, just received strength from an angel cruising in the will of God from here on out. Man, I've got it. I feel good. My favorite worship music, my Spotify playlist. I ran today, got the endorphins pumping. I've prayed. I've fasted. I read scripture. I'm ready to be unified. I'm ready to do the will of God. I'm ready for the mind of Christ to come in me. Oh, wait. And being in agony, he still had agony even after being strengthened. Now, I mean, he had strength. Where his strength was before in the natural was made greater by God. But yet he was still in agony and prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. If this really is the mind of Christ, and this is what I'm being told to take on in regards to unity then it means that I should be willing to sweat blood rather than divide the body. No one thinks that. There's another church down the road. They have better music and they have a bigger sanctuary. And though you have updated it, they look cooler. Or there's another one that looks more conservative. And they preach from the King James only. And they're going to do whatever. There's always an out for us. There's always an out for us. Even in marriage, people say, I'll go this far. But if they ever do that, I'm out. I'll allow that to happen, but if that happens, I'm gone. And that's not to say that there is not a time or a place where biblically there is a right to divorce. But what I mean is that flippant thought. They treat me like this for too long, I'm gone. They treat me like that at the church, they disagree with me, I'll take two offenses, but three strikes and you're out. That is not the mind of Christ. He sweat great drops of blood. And I am preaching that knowing that I do not fully live it. It is very hard to preach that. But to know I need that for myself. Because I know I don't do that. I know that's not my mindset. And in fact, if you think that you're not a divider, or that maybe maybe a better way, maybe you think your opinions aren't that strong. Just like God puts you in a place where you can exercise that opinion more, and you're going to start to learn some things about yourself. Ooh, I really like to get my way. I really want the stage to look like this. I got problems. I got problems. But God is good. And Paul, like he said in the very beginning of this, was assured that God would get his way. That God would finish. You need to memorize Philippians 1.6. You need to memorize Philippians 1.6. You will be so discouraged about your spiritual life at times. And you need to encourage yourself that you have a heavenly father who is not taken off guard by your failure. Not only is he not taken off guard, he is committed. And he knows that he is able to get you to the end. In Psalm 23, those sheep going through the valley shadow of death might have been like, you sure this is the right way? Because I'm pretty sure over there I saw a place that didn't have devils coming at me. That wasn't a shadow of death. I mean, you know, 
you, you've seen those tight ropes or those things, maybe like in the Himalayas, and it's a rope bridge going out and it's shaking. And uh, this cannot be the will of God. Ease and comfort is what the TV preacher told me. And I tend to want to agree with him, even if he is a heretic. I want that life. But that's not the mind of Christ. That's not the path of God. And what glory is that? If he's really a king, what glory is it unless we do have a few scars and we get to heaven and Jesus says, yes, I was worth it. I am a victorious king and I was victorious through you. Unity is worth it. The valley of the shadow of death was worth it because then at the end, you're sitting down and lo and behold, there's a table before your enemies. They're here, God. Yeah, and you're going to eat right in front of them. And there's nothing they can do about it. Unity is worth it. In the long run, imagine if the Lord tarries and we're here 30 or 40 years. What if we turned around and we said, everyone who heard that message on that day, even through drops of blood, are still together I think that would be a miracle comparable or greater than the raising of Lazarus. I think more. Maybe even than the creation of the earth and the splitting of the Red Sea. I really believe that. I really believe it. And God wants it. God wants it. He said, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia. I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Wow, he finally got to the end and now we know why he was talking about unity so much because there were two women in the church. It could be two men. It could be a man and a woman. It doesn't really matter that they were two women. But there were two ladies there and there was a disagreement. Clearly, it wasn't a small disagreement. I don't like that worship song. It wasn't like that, but something happened where it began to grow and become such a division that somehow it got communicated to Paul. Sounds like this was actually a really big issue. Or it started small, it snowballed, and it blew up, and it got so loud that Paul heard about it and was then moved by the Holy Spirit to write about it and to write all through his letter about it. We have to watch what we do whenever there's a conflict. I'm entreating them. And I want, and I entreat those ladies. Agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. How? She's just wrong and I'm just right. Philippians three fourteen to 16 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. What was the prize? My opinion being lived out in you? No. What am I pressing forward to? What am I? I'm exerting effort for something. What's it for? Is it my own will? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And if we are mature, we will think this way. And we're not always mature. We don't always think that way. But praise God for the Holy Spirit, who in that moment could enter into my carnality and my immaturity and give me the mind of Christ and rise me above who I am and myself. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. They don't agree with me. They're acting so immature. They're causing division. I need to go set them in their place. That's not what it says. It says that God, the Holy Spirit, will reveal it to them. So many times, if you're in an argument and you walk away, especially with a spouse, you'll come to this impasse sometimes. 
And then you'll just be like, okay, I need a minute. And then all of a sudden, with all your self-justification that you do, the Holy Spirit comes in like a ton of bricks on top of you, slowly crushing you. You're wrong. It was you. Oh, it's not me. It was them. It's me. Oh, I don't want to ask for forgiveness. No, I am not asking them forgiveness, even though I know I was wrong. There's no way. I, whatever. Yeah, right. I am not asking them forgiveness because I know if I ask them forgiveness, they're going to take advantage of me. Is that what I want you to do, Andrew? Didn't they take advantage of me? Didn't I cry out on the cross, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, Jesus knew we were going to take his grace for granted. And yet he doesn't stop influencing us, coming to us, helping us when we ask in prayer. He didn't quit. It doesn't matter if they're, if we think we're 90% right. If we're that 10% wrong, we have to go in and we have to ask for forgiveness, even if it hurts. God will reveal it to him. He'll reveal it to us. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Philippians 4.3, I ask you also, and musicians, please come up. I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Help these women. Help them. Sometimes there is a disagreement, and we need help to resolve it. And there's no shame in that. But the end of it is not just settling the disagreement and somehow having this weird, awkward feeling. But there's fruitfulness at the end. There is fruitfulness when we come through disagreements. There's fruitfulness in unity. It's not unity just to get along. It's unity so that we might strive together for the gospel. Jeff and I, two completely different people, different mindsets about different things. But when you bring us together, there have been conversations that we have had where we've not understood each other. We didn't argue, but we just talked. Like, no, I don't don't know about that. And then we listened and we talked. And over time, you're like, wait, we think the same thing. I was saying some different words and you, you thought I meant, but, and, and there's fruit in it because what you come to at the end of that is we're going to work hard together. We agree together. We're going to bleed together. We're going to fight together. We're going to serve Jesus together. That's what we're going to do. There's fruit from the unity and it's all for the glory of Jesus. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. Those women who were in ministry and ministry time in a church Our service to Jesus does not mean that you are somehow more sanctified in your opinions. It just means you've served Jesus. You've been in the church in a while. And yes, you might have a really good opinion through your experience. But we got to be careful not to take advantage of one another with that. These women had all that pedigree, and yet they still could not get along. But Paul knew God was able to get his way in their lives. And these saved women. And just like marriage... It is worth the conflict. It is worth working through. It is worth praying through. It is worth bleeding out my opinions so that the glory of Jesus can be had. So I just want to invite you, and I'm going to come down here, and I am going to ask God to make this real in my life. Because this is not my mind. It's none of our minds. It's the mind of Christ. It's the mind of unity. And I really desperately want it to operate in me. And I know that if it can operate in us as a church, there's going to be freedom. Freedom from the tyranny of our own opinions. Freedom from fruitless arguments. Fruit for the kingdom of God. And I'm going to come down here with a promise. Encourage you one more time that the God who has started a good work in you 
will complete it. Will complete it as we cooperate with him and his influence in our hearts and our lives.